The question we are trying to answer is this. What is spiritual maturity? Uh, Sub-question, how do I get there? The series we're in is called Root to Fruit. Becoming spiritually mature is a lot like growing fruit. It happens slowly over time, and there's many different virtues God is growing in your heart and in mine. We've gone through all of the fruit of the Spirit except one. The last fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And we're spending three whole weeks on this one because it is a tricky one to to manage. Uh, Why is it so hard to get myself under control? And then when I do, why is it so hard to keep myself under control? I'll tell you why. Earlier this week, we took a leader from our church out for a birthday lunch. We had a nice good lunch and we're kind of all trying to watch what we eat. And then they come out and they say, would you like dessert? For lunch, they ask you if you want dessert. And they give you the dessert menu. And then you look at the dessert menu and guess what's on it? Here's what's on it. It's the chocolate pinata. <laughs> Uncle Julio's LaGrange on 159th. It's filled with churros. They give you a baton and you get to hit the chocolate pinata and the churros spill out. That's why it's so hard to keep things under control because people keep rolling out new temptations like that. And we're so weak. Self-control is difficult because the battle never stops. Just when you feel like you've got one area of your life under control, like your weight or your finances or your marriage or your health, then one other area flares up and, and the battle never stops. We are always met with temptation to let an area of our life get out of control. Uh, self-control, what is it? Simply put, self-control is saying no to something you want to say yes to. It's the bottom line. It's fundamentally the skill and the habit and the discipline of saying no to something that you really want to say yes to. Or another nuance would be uh, the discipline of saying wait when you want to say now. Becoming a self-controlled person is basically learning when to say no to something when you want to say yes and when to say wait to something when you want to say now. If you can do that skillfully, uh, consistently, then you have built up self-control. If you can't do that skillfully or consistently, then this would be a weakness. Um, But the the growth in this area never ends. Today we're going to look at three basic areas of living a self-controlled life. The two uh, grow out of the first one. We're going to learn from the Lord how to gain wisdom to balance all the demands of life. That's what we need. God wants you to live a well-ordered, well-managed, self-controlled life. So we're going to talk today about how that's possible. First, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us here today. Thank you for ordering our whole universe such that we can exist and have a relatively safe existence here in a perilous universe. You show us what it means to bring order to chaos. Help us, Lord, to bring order into our world and to be like you. Help us to control all the madness around us in relationships. um, And we just pray that you would teach us self-control. For your glory, amen. There are many verses that we will go to today. They will be projected on the screen. 
Please write them down when we get to them, but don't feel any pressure to race around the Bible. First thing, if you want to live a self-controlled life, number one, write this down, plan hard. Plan hard. We're going all the way back up to the headwaters of a self-controlled life, and we're saying that sometimes when there's a big problem in your life, the problem actually started long before the problem arrived. The problem was the plan. It was a bad plan or it was no plan. But if we don't understand how to order our lives before the moments arrive, we can't ever get anywhere. And the Bible is pro-planning. The Bible tells us that we should plan out our days, that we should learn how to, how to order our days uh, because there's a limited amount of time that we each get. Time is one favorite concept that always comes up in sci-fi movies. And I, for one, am a big Star Trek fan. Thank you for not laughing. <laughs> now you blew it. I love Star Trek. And here's a picture of my favorite Star Trek captain, Jean-Luc Picard. And in one of the movies, Generations, Captain Picard had to go up against an evil villain. The evil villain discovered something called an energy ribbon. And he, he realized that if he could get into this energy ribbon, he could live forever and never die. The only problem was he was willing to kill millions of people to get back to this energy ribbon. Big problem. So they had to stop him. Uh, and, and not only did Captain Picard have to stop him, but Captain Kirk had to stop him too. And it was Captain Picard that got the job done. Let's just remember that. And then at the end of the movie, as Captain Picard is reflecting on what the villain said to him about time, here's what he said. Someone once told me that time was a predator that stalked us all our lives. But I rather believe that time is a companion who goes with us on the journey and reminds us to cherish every moment because they'll never come again. That's a deep word there. And it shows how in the world uh, they're processing this idea of the brevity of life. We have to face that also. The Bible, 1500 B.C., recorded that Moses was thinking about the brevity of life. How old did Moses live to be? Uh, he got a good life in, and yet he was fixated on the fact that, that life is short. And in Psalm 90, 12, did you know Moses wrote a psalm? Uh, in Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses said this, So teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number our days. Knowing that life is limited, that time is short, means we have to be skillful in planning our lives out. Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew 6.33, said this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, we get this backwards. We seek last his kingdom and his righteousness. And after we have spent our time, we've spent our talent, we've spent our treasure, then sometimes we bring God what's left. We seek last the kingdom when we should be seeking first the kingdom according to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to get our priorities in straight, uh, straight upriver while we plan or there'll be a downriver disaster. Plan hard. Um, for some of us right now, we are floating down the lazy river of life. We don't have a plan and we don't want a plan and we think we don't need a plan and we are not yet feeling the consequences of our neglect. For others, we feel like the plan has got us around the throat. We feel like we've got to run here and there and everywhere and there's no time for everything and my life is too planned out. In fact, I need a simpler plan. We have to plan hard, but we have to make sure we don't go too far in scripting everything. Um, 
ask yourself this. When it comes to planning out your priorities in your life, do you feel like you're winning the battle? Do you feel like you're losing the battle of planning well? Do you feel like you've lost the battle altogether? Um, Jot this down. God wants us to make the best use of our time. Make the best use of our time. Uh, Self-control flows from a supernatural desire to be fruitful and effective in life. God puts that there in the hearts of all of his children. He puts in your heart a supernatural desire to be fruitful and effective in this world. This is spiritual maturity. But when all the other demands come, you ask yourself, how can I possibly make an eternal difference in this world when I've got to worry about cat food? And when, when our bank account is a little low, like, like, there's just so much to worry about. And that makes planning hard. But we have to make the best use of our time. In Ephesians 5, 15 to 17, it says this, Look carefully, then, how you walk. If you, if you dig into the usage of this word in the Greek, the word look carefully doesn't just mean like, hmm, uh, it means watch out. Uh, look because there's something bad that's about to happen. Uh, this is the context and the sentence of how this word is used, okay? So on the count of three, everybody just say, watch out. Ready? One, two, three. The Bible's saying that to you. Watch, watch out! How you walk. Walk here means your life. Not as unwise, but as wise. Your life is portrayed here as a walk, but you're not in like this meadow. You're like next to a steep canyon, like, like the Grand Canyon and it's raining. Uh, and, and, and there you are, and it's like somebody up top is looking down saying, watch out! And that's your life. You, you have to be careful because you can go over the side. It says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil, meaning the world will sweep you away. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you realize we're being warned, Christians, against a foolish way of life? We're being warned against a worldly way of life. We're being warned against a sinful way of life. Blindly walking the way the world wants us to walk. The Bible is saying, watch out. It takes intentionality. Where is your time going? If you had to jot down what you spent most of your time on last week, would there be anything you'd be embarrassed to admit? How much time you spent on something or someone? Would you be embarrassed to admit how much of your time is going to something right now? Does that reflect a lack of great planning? Or do you feel like you're winning the battle with balance? And it is a battle for balance. Um, It is a battle for balance. When it comes to balancing life, it's hard. Uh, But you can never win it. You just have to keep balanced all the demands of your life. When I think of balancing, I think of tightrope walkers. Have you seen this Christian tightrope walker who walks, he walks across the Grand Canyon? He, he, walked, he walked across the Chicago River. How, did anybody go and see this guy? What, you were there. Check it out. I've got video of this guy walking across the Chicago River. Look. You guys rock. Look at that. Listen to that roar. There are a good number of people down there that want him to fall into that river. 
Nick, if you That's get why a chance, there. give it a bounce one time so I can watch the reaction. Uh, it's moving, Dad. I'm not going to give it His a bounce. His dad just said, All give right. the rope a it's bounce. It's not bad, but yeah. it's definitely moving. And that's why there okay, are mothers in this now. world. Because Dad tells him to bounce it. Look at that. <gasps> right, it's nothing too erratic. So that's what I was looking for. You guys watching think I'm crazy, but this is what I was made for. We do think you're crazy. <laughs> All right, now grab that image because that's you. Being, I had a hard time trying to figure out how do I know if I'm self-controlled. I can tell you if I'm winning the battle with violence because I haven't socked anybody recently, right? It's been a long time. So that means I'm winning. I know that I'm winning the battle with violence because I haven't hit anybody recently. How do I know if I'm winning the battle with self-control? It's like, am I? Am I not? How do I know? Well, you can't view it as like, you got to view it as like a balance. So there you are on the tightrope. And, and if you're keeping your life in balance and, and you're tending to everything that's important, then, then you're winning the battle. But some people are losing the battle. They're tipping. They are, they are tipping. And, and they've got one foot or one toe left on the wire. And oh, maybe they haven't gone over yet. But day in and day out, there is a chronic losing battle where they are refusing to learn self-control. And they, they think they're going to get it back where it needs to be. And they will find out the hard way they're not strong enough to do that. So there are people who are winning the battle of balance. There are people who are losing the battle of balance. And then there are people who have lost the battle of balance. They have outright lost the battle to exercise self-control in their finances. And now they need professional help. They have lost the battle to, to take care of their body. And now they need professional help. They have lost the battle with controlling their relationships and investing in their marriage, and now it's irreparable. Uh, there are people who have lost the battle with self-control, and they are paying dearly for it. Um, I want you to know, wherever you're at, there's still hope for you. God can turn things around, and he can restore you to a place of self-control, but you've got to tell him the truth of where you're at, and you've got to you got to find those areas of your life where you are losing or you have lost the battle and cry out to the Lord for help. It all begins with a plan. If you failed, it's because the plan probably wasn't great to begin with. We have to plan hard and make the best use of our time. Let me ask you to do a little evaluation here. How are you doing in having a plan for your soul? Do you have a plan to love God? It starts with an appointment every day where you sit down and read your Bible and pray, maybe in the evening or the morning, but... Do you have a plan? If you don't, I'm reading through Exodus and uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy right now. There's your plan. You can take my plan. I just gave it to you. Take it, and that, that's not your plan. Now you got one. Uh, but do you have a plan? If you don't have a plan to love God, you will love godlessness. You will live a godless life because you didn't plan to love God. How are you doing with the discipline of sharpening your mind? Do you have a plan to love knowledge? Do you have a plan to grow what's being planted in the garden of your intellect? Are you filling your mind with wholesome things? Uh, because if you don't have a plan to love knowledge, you will love ignorance. You'll just be oblivious. Um, and because our God is truth, ignorance is always an affront to him. 
Uh, If you don't know what's going on in the lives of your kids, that's dangerous. If you don't know where your money is going, that's dangerous. If you don't know what's happening in the world around you, uh, you know, ignorance is not bliss. Um, And so we have to discipline our minds. How are you doing at planning to love knowledge? I felt convicted on this several years ago, and so I made a lot of changes to make sure that I was reading magazines to find out what's going on in our world and listening to podcasts. One good one, if you're looking for something to feel informed, is Albert Moeller's podcast. Um, It's called The Daily Briefing, and he talks about current issues from a Christian worldview. Uh, I listen to that every day. I listened to it every day last year. Um, Reading books, wholesome books, biographies about Christians, putting things in your mind that are edifying. Do you have a plan for your mind? What about your body? Do you have a plan to love wellness? Because if you don't, you'll live weakness. More on that next week. Do you have a plan for your heart? A plan to love others? Because if you don't plan to love others, you'll live selfishly, automatically. If the plan isn't there, there'll be a downriver disaster. In each of these areas, soul, mind, body, heart, hey, hey, are you, are you winning? Are you losing? Have you lost? It's time to ask the Lord to teach us self-control. Number one, plan hard. Number two, work hard. Work hard. Christians should have a tremendous work ethic. God wants us to be responsible, and he wants us to be reliable, and that shows self-control. In Colossians 3, 23 to 24, it says this, Whatever you do, what do you do? What, what, are, what are some of your jobs? What do you do? Maybe you're a, maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're, a, maybe you're an information security. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe your job right now is you're a stay-at-home mom. Maybe you work with your hands. You're a carpenter. What do you do? Whatever you do, it says here, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. I don't know if you love your job. I don't know if you hate your job. But tomorrow is bring Jesus to work day. I just made that up. I just made it up. There's going to be greeting cards coming next year. Bring Jesus to work day. We can all celebrate it. Do you bring your Lord to work with you? Do you? When I got saved, I was in college. You know what my job was? I was a performing DJ. I went to weddings and I performed. I was a performing, I knew the electric slide. I, there were all sorts of dances and I had to teach people them. Wore funny hats. I owned an Elvis costume with a cape and I knew how to use it. And I was this new baby Christian, so I went to work, put my little costume case down, got my DJ rig set up, and then I was like, Dear Lord, please bless me this night. I didn't even know how to talk to God. I'm asking for him to bless me dancing in an Elvis costume. But I just knew that I needed to work as I was working for the Lord, so I asked him to bless my work. Is that you? Do you bring Jesus to work with you? Because God wants you to. We are cautioned many times in Scripture about uh, what happens when we develop a poor work ethic. It says in Proverbs 10, 26, 
Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The person who doesn't get the job done, who doesn't work hard, he hardly works, is condemned in the Bible, and there's two things this person is like. Like vinegar to the teeth. I had to look that one up. I was like, what does that mean? Well, it turns out vinegar is one of the most acidic substances. It's up there on the P... I googled it. I'm not this smart. I had to google it. It's up there on the pH scale as being almost as acidic as battery acid compared to other things. So vinegar on the teeth leads... it, it erodes the tooth enamel and leads to dental problems. I have had many dental woes and I have been crowned with many crowns, let me tell you. And maybe we should give an award out to the mother who has had the most crowns because that greatest are suffering. I've had seven root canals, seven of them, and I floss. Don't judge me. Uh, it's, it's genetic, I'm telling you. Uh, so, so like vinegar to the teeth is, is the guy who doesn't do So if somebody walks up to me and he's like, hey, can I give you tooth problems? I'd be like, absolutely not. But that's what the person with a poor work ethic does. It's practically like he's sending you to the dentist. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you, vinegar to the teeth. Uh, It says, like smoke to the eyes. You know what that's like. You're at the campfire, and what happens? You're sitting down, you get comfortable, and then the smoke comes right at you. Oh, it did not. It stings. You're rubbing it out of your eyes, and I'm getting up, and I'm moving over to this side. Then what happens? The wind chains. Oh, it found me again. Oh, here we are. And, and, and that's what it's like to be around someone who's not working hard. It's like you're crying. It stings. Like, there he is again. Ah! Don't let that be you, Christian. Don't let that be you. Uh, work hard. Work hard. This is what happens to our witness if we don't work hard. We're vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Let me tell you about Jesus. Get to work. Um, Here's the thing, though. Work, God wants us to work hard, but work can become a trap. Check it out. Here's a picture of a trap. Work can become that. If you're not careful, something good can become something God in your heart. So write this down. Work hard, but avoid the trap of self-reliance. Self-reliance is one of the three big heart traps we're learning about. We talked about them last week. We'll talk about them next week. Self-reliance is one of them. Me taking care of me. This is really huge, a big moment for some of you in this room, right? This might be the most important moment in the sermon for you. You were created to work hard. You were never intended to work independently of God. That's not what you were made for. God is your provider. You should never change that. In Daniel 4, 30 to 32, great King Nebuchadnezzar, he's a king. He's got a kingdom to manage, one of the biggest kingdoms in history. And he was warned by Daniel a year in advance, you need to humble yourself. God is going to take you out. And he's like, okay, okay, I will. Well, then he forgot. So what does he do? He gets all proud of his work. And it says in Daniel 4, 30-32, And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? 
while the words were still in the king's mouth. So he didn't even get to finish. There fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. Enough of you talking. To you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. What happened was he went mad. He lost his mind, and he behaved like an animal. Uh, They couldn't even keep him in the palace. He went out and lived with wild creatures for a time, eating like eating the grass, uh, because God took away his sanity. How in control of your life are you really? There goes your mind. It's that simple, like that. That's the end of you taking care of you. This story has a happy ending because Nebuchadnezzar finally woke up and said, sorry, and God gave him his sanity and his kingdom back. How how does that make you feel? Here's your mind back. Be more responsible with it this time. That could be you. And anyone who develops and cultivates and embraces a spirit of self-reliance will be completely humiliated again and again. God will do it. He will tip over your kingdoms because he can't let you believe a lie. This is what's going on in our hearts. If you live with the chronic problem of self-reliance, if you are a workaholic, if you're working when you should be resting or working when you should be worshiping, You're working in a sinful way, and it's because you're trying to make a lie come true. But it never will. The lie you are trying to make come true is, my effort will secure my finances. My effort will secure my children. My work will secure my church. False. False every time. God will secure your finances. God will secure your work. God will secure your church. You can't. And until you admit that, you will run yourself ragged again and again. In Psalm 127, 1-2, it says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Hey, how are you doing at working hard at home? How are you doing at making sure that you are working hard, but you're not making that work something you worship? How are you doing at balancing your work at home? So thankful for all the moms in here who work hard at home. And I'm thankful for my wife and all the, all the little things she does to show that she loves her family. Last night, I try and up my game on Mother's Day weekend, you know, so I do some extra stuff. So last night, everybody's in bed and there were still dishes out, so I figured I'd clean the dishes and, and leave the sink nice and neat for the morning so Lauren doesn't come down and see the mess. So I'm running the garbage disposal, throwing stuff in there, and suddenly it goes, cock, 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 cock. something's stuck in the garbage disposal. So now I'm reaching in, you know what that's like, right? I'm reaching in there, trying to clean it out. And I pull out a, not just one, not just two, but three watch batteries. Watch batteries, three of them in there. Like someone slammed dunking them in there. And one of them broke open. So then I'm Googling battery acid on fingers. <laughs> and I'm like, my wife does stuff like this all the time for the family. 
And it just makes me appreciate her so much. Work hard at home. Um, how are you doing at balancing work at work? Are you working hard at work and making sure you're not worshiping your work? How, how are you doing at balance? Um, I read a hilarious art, little article in Time Magazine recently. It was entitled, The World's Costliest Typos. So somebody didn't do their job right, and it cost people lots of money. On March 2nd, Amazon blamed a rogue typo for a five-hour Amazon outage that costed companies an estimated $150 million. Because some guy, whoops, typo. That's not even the worst. In 2014... There was a $617 billion typo error. Did you hear that? That's a bad day for you if that's your job. $617 billion uh, because there was an accidental order of Japanese stock that had to be canceled the next day. They called it a fat finger trade. (laughs) Whoops, he hit the wrong key. So not doing your job with excellence can lead to great pain and suffering and it harms your witness. How are you doing at working hard at work? And what about church? How are you doing at working hard at church? Are you bringing your very best? Are you carving out a nice, sweet chunk of premium time that you could be using for yourself or for others and giving that to the Lord through the church? Or are you kind of protecting your schedule from anything the church could demand of you? Uh, How are you doing at being generous with your time? I was so thankful this last week we wrapped up two huge ministry seasons, our youth ministry and our Awana ministry. And these are leaders who sign on the dotted line for a whole year's investment. Uh, They're out sometimes multiple days a week with events and at least one day a week, hours, a a precious night that they give. And um, that was so awesome to see these people who are willing to work hard for Christ at church. I really want to honor them. If you're on our Awana team or on our student ministry team, I think you should stand up because we just want to say thank you so much for working for Christ. Stand up right now. And we want to say thank you for working for Christ. Come on. I'm thankful for the investment. That's a lot of time you gave, all right? And you're working hard for Christ. Uh, How are you doing at planning hard? How are you doing at working hard? Are you keeping the balance? Are you winning the battle, losing the battle, or have you lost the battle? Finally, number three, this is the fun one. Play hard. Play hard. The Bible prioritizes rest and renewal. Rest and renewal. It can't just be all work, work, work. That's not what God had in mind. Um, Solomon was like the richest guy who ever lived and the wisest guy who ever lived. He cautioned us against having a life that lacked enjoyment. He said in Ecclesiastes 5, 19 to 20, um, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions, and get this, power to enjoy them and to accept his lot, meaning everything's not perfect, and rejoice in his toil, meaning there's still work to be done. This is the gift of God. He will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is a beautiful portrayal of a person who's working hard, resting hard, and getting their joy from God. Solomon lifts that up as the good life. And then he talks about another guy in Ecclesiastes 6.3. 
He said, if a man fathers a hundred children, imagine that, hundred children. Now, it's not, he's not being real. He's just saying this is like the dream back then. In the ancient world, if you had a hundred kids, not only did your wealth go up, but you had a lot of power. Okay? So if a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so he's old, so that the days of his years are many, get this, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things. And he also has no burial. What does that mean? It means he's got everything, but nobody can live with him anymore. His kids aren't even coming to his funeral because he's all about himself. It says, Solomon says, I say this stillborn child is better off than him. What does that mean? That means if, you th- if you've got everything, uh, but you're not living a life filled with joy and love for other people, Solomon's like, what are you even doing here? What are you even doing here? It would be better if you were just never even been born. You're a waste of a life, essentially he's saying. If we don't know how to play hard, if we don't know how to enjoy life, and if we don't get this, if we don't get that that joy comes from God, not from goods, uh, then we're just wasting it. We're wearing ourselves out. God wants us to find rest. Uh, but God doesn't want us to worship rest. Here's where this can become a trap, too. Here's a picture of a trap again. There it is. So work can become a trap when you cultivate a spirit of self-reliance. Rest can become a trap when you cultivate a spirit of self-indulgence. Jot that down. When you live for the leisure, you're trapped. Avoid the trap of self-indulgence. We can work foolishly and we can rest foolishly just like christians are supposed to be different in how we work bring jesus to work day we're supposed to be different in how we rest bring jesus to rest day do you look first to the lord to satisfy your heart with peace and joy in this world or do you chase in your in your leisure moments in your unguarded time do you chase things besides Christ, looking for those things to give you relief from the burdens of this world. Does Christ come first? You see, we have to understand, too often people think God gets in the way of their enjoyment of this world. God's just a killjoy up there like a straitjacket, taking away my fun. That's not God at all. He personally designed and built and engineered and delivered everything you've ever enjoyed in this world, even the chocolate pinata. He made it possible He fought it all up. To think that you have to somehow get around God before you're going to have fun in this life, you're deceived. Jesus didn't show up at the wedding and turn water into V8. Everybody get healthy. He turned it into wine. Somebody said Jesus' first miracle was bringing life to the party. Heaven is portrayed as a great banquet, a feast where Jesus is standing at the head of the table feeding his guests with the finest food and the richest wines. That's our Lord. He wants to fill your heart with joy. But we run to lesser things to try and find peace, to try and find calm. We won't find it. We won't find it on the golf course. We won't find it on the beach. We won't find it on Netflix. We will only find a joyful spirit in Christ. Jesus alone has what it takes to satisfy your soul for a billion years. If you don't stop at him first and pick up your rest and renewal, you won't find it anywhere. 
He gives your heart joy and rest. So he wants you to be able to rest in him. That means that you come to him for relief through prayer. That means that you enjoy your time with him and that out of that time, you bring renewal everywhere you go. Uh, rest and renewal can be a big problem. Maybe you feel like rest is a big, you're off balance in, in how you're resting right now. You're, you're too self-indulgent. You're, you're trying to pile on more and more and more hours indulging things that are supposed to make you uh, rested, and guess what? They're not. So you just keep more and more and more, and you're tipping, you're tipping, you're tipping. For some, they have lost the battle with rest. They should be working, and they're not, and they are resting when they're supposed to be worshiping. Their life is now leisure, and guess what? They're still not happy. They have lost the battle with rest. We have to avoid the trap of self-indulgence. The truth about pleasure is that all pleasure needs boundaries to remain pleasurable. All of it. Uh, the pleasure of shopping, the pleasure of sex, the pleasure of friendship, the pleasure of it. There needs to be boundaries. And any pleasure that we allow to get unrestrained in our life will devour us. Will devour us. Uh, we have to learn that lesson. Otherwise, we'll learn it the hard way. Self-indulgence, me living to indulge me, is a trap. Rest can be a trap. We can worship our rest. In Proverbs 6, 10 to 11, it says this, A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I love this verse because it portrays uh, the uh, person who's like a sluggard, who's not working, who's only resting, as, as being robbed. Being robbed. And... Uh, that got my imagination going, and I was like, it's, like, it's like sloth. You know a sloth, right? It's like sloth is a master thief who sneaks up on you real slow. And, uh, and sloth, I imagine, is being a condition where we so indulge ourselves that we are just feeding our flesh sitting still, staying put, doing nothing, let our minds, our bodies, our hearts, and our spirits go to mush. And the Bible describes that condition not as if we finally find our happy, but as if we're being robbed by a master thief. Sloth is not your friend. What I mean is a life where you get to indulge your every desire for leisure is not the life for you. Sloth is a master thief who robs you blind. And as you sit there for the fourth hour of your Netflix binge, you need to tell yourself, I'm being robbed. I, you might want to say it out loud next time when you know you're indulging yourself. Help! I'm being robbed. What's being stolen? As you indulge yourself, what's being stolen is better relationships with your family, a stronger walk with your Lord more money in the bank. You are being robbed by sloth. He takes. He doesn't give. He takes. And he is a great enemy of God. Forgive us. Forgive me for when we try and make sloth a better friend than Jesus. We have to play hard, but we are not supposed to fall into the trap of self-indulgence. So what is it? It's so difficult to evaluate how we're doing with self-control. It's an every-moment balancing act, and it applies to every area of our life. So when it comes to planning, do you feel like your plan 
is you're winning the battle, you're losing the battle, or you've lost the battle and it's time to get back up on the wire. When it comes to work, do you feel like you're winning the battle? Do you feel like you're losing the battle? Do you feel like you have lost the battle? Is work being responsible the big problem in your life right now? Or when it comes to rest, do you feel like you're doing well at balancing that area? Do you feel like you're losing the battle of rest? More defeat, more defeat. Uh, or do you feel like you have just completely fallen into the river and you are, you are displaying no restraint on your flesh right now in some area of your life? Spending or substances or whatever it is. The good news is God wants to help. This series is all about God teaching us to grow. And if you feel like you need to grow in self-control, join the club. That's why we're spending a whole other week on this. I'm not done with this yet. Invite the Lord to strengthen you in this area, and he will. And he will get you safely across that river. He will help you. He will help me to balance everything in a way that leads to the greatest fruitfulness in this life. Let me close by reading a prayer from the Valley of Vision that says this. Most men seem to live for themselves without much or any regard for thy glory or for the good of others. They earnestly desire and eagerly pursue the riches, honors, pleasures of this life as if they supposed that wealth, greatness, merriment could make their immortal souls happy. But alas, what false, delusive dreams are these, and how miserable before long will those be that sleep in them. For all our happiness consists in loving thee and being holy as thou art holy. Let's pray. Father, this is true, and yet we forget it. All our happiness consists in loving thee. Teach us again to come back to the deep well that our souls long for, finding our joy and our rest in you. And when it comes to our work, teach us again to rely on you. Forgive, O Lord, when we nourish a self-reliant spirit. Forgive us, O Lord, when we nourish a self-indulgent spirit. Teach us, O Lord, what it means to balance the great desires of our heart and the great demands of our time and to live in a way where we can experience uh, the great lasting joy that only you can provide. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.